The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. So I've been going through lots of old files in the last couple of weeks, and um, it's really kind of a trip down memory lane because I'm going through sermons that I preached 20 or 30 years ago, and uh, some of the notes and illustrations that I used that I would have forgotten by now had it not been for the fact that I recorded it in a sermon. And so... I, uh, I got in there an illustration in a sermon early in my ministry at Eagle River near Dryden, Ontario, um, of my first Christmas that I shared with Pat before we were married. So this is 1982. I traveled to Winnipeg from uh, Eagle River, and uh, this was the first time that we exchanged gifts as an engaged couple. And we, we made the mistake of doing it ahead of her family. So her mom, dad, and her two brothers. And, um, and I also, okay, so I opened my present first, and it was first ever for me cross-country skis complete with poles and boots, okay? And I was kind of like, whoa, you know, this is huge. And then, so my first uh, emotion was, whoa, this is great. My second emotion was absolute dread, because the other gift under the tree was for her from me, and I wasn't quite as creative, let's say. I'm, I'm not sure, uh, Anne, you would, you would remember what the department store in Dryden, was it called a sand store or Woolworths or Woolco? Or, well, that's where I went to get Pat's gift, and um, I thought these sweatsuits were pretty cool, you know. Uh, it was a kind of a frumpy sky blue sweatsuit, and I noticed that <clears throat> that the largest children's size was cheaper than the smallest adult size, <laughs> and I thought that would fit okay too, and so that worked for my budget as a pastor. <laughs> so anyway, needless to say, when she opened it, she was so polite, but I'm pretty sure she was disappointed. Uh, maybe you've had a Christmas like that as well, or some gifts. I hope I don't stir any problems here. Um, every once in a while, not too often, but every once in a while, Pat will remind me of that around this time of the year as we're gift buying. So disappointments happen at Christmas too, don't they? And it's one thing to have a disappointing gift. We can all laugh that off years later, but sometimes there's other things that come as huge and weighty disappointments, bad things, bad news, phone calls that come. You know, there's no guarantee, is there, that God has given us, there's no guarantee that we will be insulated from huge disappointments, that we will have intrusions into our lives. Some of the biggest events of our lives, some of the biggest things that happen to us are not planned by us, they come as interruptions, unplanned intrusions, surprises, and yet they actually redirect the course of our lives often for the better. What's important to, for us to remember is that with every intrusion, every inconvenience, every interruption, every surprise, every unplanned and sometimes unwanted thing that comes, we need to remember God is in control that God cares, God has not left His throne, He has not stopped caring and loving you, He has not stopped being your Emmanuel, God with you, and He has a plan. And I want you to think this morning with me a little bit about 
the first Christmas story and just how incredibly intrusive it was for all the characters present. There was, there was Zechariah and Elizabeth, the father and mother of John the Baptist, and how incredibly difficult it would have been as they're getting ready for retirement from the priestly ministry to be told, you're going to have a son now in their old age. And John the Baptist came along. For Mary, the mother of Jesus, who was probably between 13 and 16 years of age, this young teenager who is told by an angel that she is going to conceive by the Holy Spirit and give birth to a son, the one that will be called the Son of God. Joseph, her betrothed, who as a righteous man and and who knew a faithful fiancé, is told in a dream as well that, that the one he is now dating is expecting a child and that they had never slept together. The census that they had taken when Joseph and Mary, in her third trimester, they had to travel by animal, walking, whatever, day, days to get to this census, finding nowhere to stay when we get there and, and having to intrude upon this stable where the animals had to be evicted because of humans that came along. The shepherds that were under the big night sky taking their turn, sleeping, waking, sleeping, waking, and all of a sudden in the middle of this big sky, a whole company of angels terrified them as they began to think about this baby that was born just a few kilometers away. And then the wise men from the east who go on this long, long, long journey and it's following a star. And then, of course, the huge intrusion of Herod, the jealous, paranoid king who kills every boy in the vicinity of Bethlehem that's under two years of age. The whole Christmas story is full of an invasion of the normalcy of life and an intrusion into the routines and the roles and the schedules and the plans and a whole inconvenience. And especially if you are sitting here today and you are the kind of person that is an ordered person, an organized person, a scheduled person, a checklist person, a person that doesn't like to not be in control. If you're here and you're that kind of person, then God's interruptions for you are really difficult more than some of the rest of us. And so this morning as we think about it, let's think about it together. How God has a way of breaking into our lives. God has a way of intruding on our schedules and getting attention on something far greater that we would never bother to go to. We would never bother to give attention to something had it not been that God brought us there. Most of us resist change. Most of us are as lazy as we're allowed to be. Most of us are not intentional about the positive growth areas of our lives. Most of us need the nudging, need the intrusion, need the interruptions, or else we don't go where sometimes God wants to take us to make our lives make a difference for us and those we love around us in this world. Even the changes that we invite sometimes are wrought with things that we didn't expect when we invited them. 
And that is nowhere more true than in marriage. We invited marriage. I don't know that there's any arranged marriages present here today, but we invited marriage into our lives. We chose the one we are married to. And yet, it's an intrusion into our lives we did not anticipate. I know they say keep your eyes wide open before marriage and half shut afterwards, but regardless of how you do it, there's surprises, isn't there? In the first year of our marriage, we read a book by Mike Mason called The Mystery of Marriage. And I want to read to you a brilliant quote from his book that I think describes marriage. A marriage or a marriage partner, he says, may be compared to a great tree growing right up through the center of your living room. It is something that is just there. It is huge, and everything has to be built around it. And wherever you put or you happen to be going, whether you're going to the fridge or to bed or to the bathroom or the front door, this tree has to be taken into account. It cannot be gone through. It must be respectfully gone around. It is something bigger and stronger than you. True, it could be chopped down, but not without tearing the entire house apart. And certainly it is beautiful and you did choose it and it's unique and it's exotic and you love it in so many ways, but let's face it, at times, it's just an enormous inconvenience. How's that for a description of marriage? Don't want to scare any of you off that are planning to be married. Yes, marriage is a bed of roses, but sometimes it's a big old tree that's growing up right through the middle of your living room that you have to take into account every time you turn around. And so God has a way of intruding into our lives when you chose the person you were going to marry, God chose the person that he would most use to sanctify you and make you more like Jesus Christ. That's what happened. And so because of our resistance to change and because of how God has to break in upon us and intrude into our plans, um, the problem is that we don't, in that moment when we see his breaking in presence, we don't ask the right questions. We don't ask questions. We look only on the surface. We see only the inconvenience. But if we were to ask the deeper questions, we would get the deeper answers. So when we ask questions like, God, what are you up to right now in these circumstances that I did not, in, not choose? Or, or God, why are you allowing this in my life? Or God, what are you trying to teach me? Or what are what are you what what part of a bigger story am I playing a part in, and how will this impact my loved ones who are watching how I respond? I mean, there's a whole bunch of questions that are really good questions to ask when you see God invade and interrupt your plans. So, if you have a Bible with you, I'd like you to take it now and turn to Matthew chapter one. And in this time we have this morning, I'd like us to look at the two principal characters of the Christmas story next to Jesus himself. And I'd like us to see how indeed in Matthew chapter 1 we see Joseph's response and in Luke chapter 1 we see Mary's response. And uh, if you are able to stand with me, would you do so now? Luke chap or Matthew chapter 1 to begin with. And we'll read beginning in verse 18. 
This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded. He took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And then in Luke chapter one and beginning reading in verse 26. Luke chapter one. And it says in the sixth month, that is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, who was carrying John the Baptist in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great. We call the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who was with, is said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary answered, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. May God bless his word. You may be seated. <clears throat> Mary asked the logical question. Mary asked the question, how? How is this possible since I am a virgin, she said. It was not a question out of unbelief, I don't think. I think it was a question out of absolute confusion and, and curiosity. And the answer that Gabriel gives her in verse 35 of Luke 1 is, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High God will overshadow you, and therefore the one that's to be born will be called the Son of God. In, a, in another kind of more crude translation, Bengal writes this, there is something to be given birth to here, that which is going to be given birth to shall be holy. The holy thing that will be given birth to shall be called the Son of God. Incredible, incredible event about to take place within Mary. And this word overshadow is the thing that captivated me this past week as I studied again this text. It is actually in the mind of the author a reference to the Shekinah glory that was accompanying the entire time that God met with His people through the tabernacle and the temple. 
And so let me just read to you a couple of references that refer to this cloud that would come down and would stop right in the temple when the glory of God was being manifested in in all of its Shekinah glory way. In Exodus chapter 33, this is early when the the tabernacle was just being formed. It was called the tent of meeting at the time. And it says that as Moses would go to, to the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. You can imagine, and all the Israelites would, would stand at the entrance to their tents as they saw this pillar of cloud hide the tent and hide where Moses had gone in to speak with God. Later on in chapter 40 of Exodus, when the tabernacle is now functioning, it says, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So the priests and anyone that was working there, this cloud came in and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Later on in in history, in the Old Testament, when now the temple, the fixed building is built in Jerusalem, in 1 Kings chapter 8, it says in verse 10 that when the priests withdrew from the holy place, that's inside the temple, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord and the priests could not perform their service because the glory of the Lord had filled the temple. And it all came in this aura of a cloud that, that per, did not allow anyone to, to see and to do their, do their work. The glory of God hid humans from this rawness of God's presence. And so then the next time we get this sense of it is when Mary is overshadowed by the, by the Most High, the power of the Most High. And the only other time that I could see before Revelation, the only other time that I can see in the New Testament is, is on that wonderful experience on the Mount of Transfiguration when Peter, James, and John, those three favorite disciples, get to go on a little excursion up a mountain with Jesus. And at the top of the mountain, they have this appearance of Moses and Elijah representing the law and the prophets. And they're there fellowshipping with Jesus. And it's this incredible thing that the, the, the cloud comes down again. It says in Luke chapter 9, 34, while Peter was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them. Same word as what overshadowed Mary. It enveloped them, it says. The cloud came down and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. The glory of God was present as Jesus, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, is fellowshipping with Moses and Elijah and Peter and James and John are witness to this and they cannot be witness to it and live. And so God comes down in this cloud of glory to insulate them from the raw, holy glory of God. Incredible time. And so if, if we could just step back for a moment then and understand the background of this. <clears throat> Let me read to you Galatians 4.4. But when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. 
When the time had fully come, that, that word is not the chronos, the chronological time. That word is kairos. It's the special time. It was the right time. When the right time came, God came down and chose a woman to bear the Son of God. God interrupted again. God intruded. God invaded human history. At the right time, God interrupted human history and said, now's the time for my son to be born. And so the overshadowing, the enveloping of the glory of God took place in the tent of meeting. It took place in the tabernacle. It took place in the temple in the Old Testament. It took place on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then we see it take place in Mary. So let's ponder that for a moment. We see the power and the Spirit of the Most High God envelop, overshadow Mary. Yesterday was the Roman Catholic tradition of the Feast of Immaculate Conception. And the priest, the, sorry, the Pope uh, stood and prayed to the Madonna. <clears throat> and he prayed for the accident that occurred in Italy yesterday. Did you see that on the news? The, the, the youth that died in the, some nightclub or something. Somebody sprayed pepper spray and the crowd just trounced. I think six people died. And the Pope prayed to Mary on the day of Immaculate Conception, asking him, her to show favor to these. The idea, the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church of Immaculate Conception does not talk about the, the conception of Jesus as some think. The doctrine of Immaculate Conception is a Roman Catholic dogma that says that Mary, when her mom and dad conceived, she was conceived without sin. That she was immaculately conceived in the, the womb of her mother, though, though her father and her mother had sex and had a baby. And that somehow in their understanding is it is the merit of Jesus whom she would carry. The merit of Jesus was somehow given to her so that she would be a ready vessel to receive the Son of God. This is all, I believe and we believe, not part of the scriptural teaching. Because they actually do say that she, was, she lived also a sinless life. That's the doctrine of immaculate conception. That's what it leads to. And, and yet, that's not at all what we see in this Scripture. That's not at all what it meant to be overshadowed by the Holy Most High God. And so, to give all respect to Mary... She is, however, the very first temple of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament sense. Amen? She is the very first temple of the, of the living God because the Lord God dwelt within her. He overshadowed her, enveloped her, indwelt her. Her seed, her egg, her seed is fertilized by the Holy Spirit. It's incredible. She is this incredible vessel that God chose to bring about that incredible union of God and man and resulting in a virgin birth. 
We as God's temple also are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are commanded to be continually filled and refilled. And we are to respond as Mary did, as Joseph did, in willing compliance, availability, in saying, Oh God, you can interrupt my life anytime you want. Oh God, you can invade my plans anytime you want. Lord, I'm your servant. I'm, you're not my servant. Lord, you come and you do what you want, regardless of whether it's in my agenda. That's what it means to be overshadowed by the living God for us. What an intrusion of God when our plans are set aside, when our comfort is disrupted, when our space is invaded. Imagine God coming down to Mary and for nine months occupying, intruding upon her very body. What a mysterious overshadowing and enveloping, fully God, fully human. Theologians call this union between God, the Most High God, and a woman's seed. They call this hypostatic union, which simply means that, that the union of Christ's humanity and His divinity all come together in this person. And, and one of the best creeds that ever was written about that. I love the language of the Athanasian Creed. It says this about Jesus. It says that He is God from the essence of the Father, begotten before time. And that word begotten does not mean born or created. It means one of a kind. The only begotten Son. There's only one like Him. So He is God from the essence of the Father, begotten before time, and He's human from the essence of His mother, born in time. I love that. He was already the eternal Son of God, the eternal Christ, never had a beginning, just like God never had a beginning and never will have an end. He was the eternal pre-existent Christ before time, but in time He became Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Yet in this hypostatic union is fully God and fully human. Not half God and half man. No, fully God and fully human. Incredible, incredibly important. And when we speak of our union with Christ, we do not mean that we are human and divine as Christ is. Rather, we mean that by faith in Him, we are united with Christ because He literally indwells us by His Spirit. He does not indwell us physically as He did with Mary. He indwells us spiritually so that we can live a new life, that we can have a new force, a new power, a new presence within us and not have to live the way that we had lived in bondage to the sin of this world. And having been born of God by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we are now ready vessels to be overshadowed and to be enveloped by the living God. When He says, no, I've got plans for you. I'd like you to do this. I'm going to interrupt what you think is going to happen with your life. I've got plans for you. I'm going to overshadow you. I'm going to envelop you. You're going to be part of my story now. Come. I've got way better plans than you have. That's the way God works. That's what He did with Mary. That's what He does with us. And we are available to Him and we are available for Him because He is Lord. I want you to think about this in concluding. I want you to think about 
just in practical terms, you understand the word overshadow. Every one of us understand what it means to be overshadowed by another person. Think about it. Think about who it was when it happened to you. It might have been an older sister or brother. And they overshadowed you. It might have been somebody that was uh, just better at something than you were at it. And they overshadowed you. Everybody looked at them instead of you. You were overshadowed by another person, a bigger personality, a famous person, a popular person. And you just feel like when you're in a place like that, beside that person, you just feel like you disappear, don't you? You just feel like you don't matter. You feel like you disappear because you're being overshadowed. You do disappear, actually. Just like the cloud came down and Moses disappeared. Because that's what overshadowing does. But what if that's the way the relationship is supposed to be? What if that's the only right way of relating to this incredible God that we worship. When we think of Mary, who was overshadowed, it was the right thing. I mean, if, if you were asked to go to London and attend to the Queen, would you not think that the only right relationship that you would have was the, that she would overshadow your presence in that room one day? Absolutely. If you were asked to be the bodyguard of some famous person, do you not think it would only be the right relationship that you disappear? Because it's all about being overshadowed by that famous person, you know. You see, there's a rightness to this. Mary got it. And it was right for Mary to be overshadowed by the Most High God. It's the only right way. And she responded perfectly. I love what she says in verse 38. She said, I'm the Lord's servant. A servant is always overshadowed by the one they're serving. And she says, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Lord, I'll leave my plans aside. God, I'll follow your plan. You can interrupt. You can invade. You can inconvenience. John the Baptist is another good example of one who understood and knew that Jesus had the right to intrude on his life and to overshadow him because what was his testimony in John 3.30? He said, he must increase and I must decrease. He must become greater and I must become less. John the Baptist got it. He was overshadowed by Jesus and, and he said, would it be right at a wedding feast for the the best man to take and eclipse the place of the groom? No, no, no. He says, I'm stepping back. He must become greater and I must become less. Paul the Apostle got it. In Philippians chapter 3, he says in verse 7, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I've lost all things. He got it. He got it. He was eclipsed. He was overshadowed. He was enveloped with this presence of Jesus Christ in his life. And from then on, Paul was available to be interrupted and inconvenienced. And that's the way of a servant. So my question to you this morning is, how do you respond to the intrusions, the invasions, 
the interruptions of your life in the smaller things and in the bigger things of life? How do you respond to the Lordship of Christ in His sovereignty when He comes and He overshadows you and your plans and your ways? He says, I've got something better. Will you trust me? Can we say with Mary, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Can we say with John, Lord, you must increase and I must decrease. It's fine with me. Can we say with Paul, whatever was to my profit before, I consider lost now that I just follow Christ's plan. Can we do that? Let's pray. Father, as we pause now and think about how it is that we are to be like Mary or like Joseph. Lord, we, are, we recognize that we hang on to some things very tightly. We are used to hanging on to our plans and our ways and we let go sometimes of the things of our lives only when we are forced to. And in Your love, God, sometimes You, you bring things into our lives, You allow things, You design things even that are meant to cause us to take steps into the directions that we would not take. God, we pray that as we've studied this day, this sense of being overshadowed by You, that we will be willing, a responsive people, that You'd have Your way with us, that we would gladly surrender to Your ways. And Lord, show us very personally, I ask in Jesus' name, show us what that means this month for us individually. Show it in our marriages. Show us in our family lives. Show us in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, in our schools. God, show us what it means to be overshadowed by you and to be a servant. We pray in Christ's name.